Well, again, good morning. And uh, I'll be honest, I'm surprised to see some of you here because some of you were here for the last few days during this journey into Christmas celebration. And if there was ever any reason to sleep in, uh, you had it. But now you've lost that opportunity, and so your excuse for sleeping in is no longer valid because you're here this morning. Um, but if you were a participant in Journey into Christmas, whether you were part of the setup crew or the cleanup crew or one of our actors, uh, will you stand for just a second so we can thank you? Um. I, uh, I don't have the official count, but I'm told that we had somewhere around 1,300 people come through here over the last two days, which is amazing. And you think about uh, yesterday, I mean, it was raining cats and dogs pretty much all day, and yet people still came. Uh, people still came to hear the story of Jesus' birth and to be guided around scene to scene throughout our building, uh, even in the midst of the rain. And uh, because of the rain, we had to rearrange the shepherd scene. And it was kind of a last-minute call. It was a little bit chaotic there at the end. We moved the shepherd scene, which is normally outside. We moved it in one of the vacant rooms inside. And because of that, uh, the path that the guides took these 1,300 people on ended up having to change a little bit. Um, it, was, it was kind of chaotic there at the end. But I want you to imagine what it would have been like if we didn't have those guides, <laughs> right? Imagine what it would have been like if these hundreds of people who came yesterday tried to find their own way around the dark halls of Grace Bible Church in the midst of the rain. The normal route has been changed. It would have been utter chaos, right? It would have been chaos for these hundreds of people to try to navigate through the darkness and the rain on their own. Well, here in the Gospel of John, we've been singing now for weeks on end that Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. He's been telling them over and over again that he is leaving. He is going to leave. And we saw last week that he is now leaving them to stay in this dark, hostile, and broken world. But the good news that we get to see this morning in our passage is that even though Jesus is leaving, even though he's leaving his disciples to navigate through the dark world, he is not leaving them alone. But he is sending to them his guide who will help them to navigate through this dark and fallen world. The question I want us to ask together this morning is how do we follow Jesus in a fallen world in a world that's dark? And do we have a guide who will help us? I want you to open your Bible up to John chapter 15. We're going to take a look at the last two verses of chapter 15, and then we're going to jump into chapter 16 as well and look at verses 1 through 15. And there in your bulletin, you should have received an outline. We're going to see first and foremost the testimony there at the end of John chapter 15. Then we're going to be reminded, Jesus is going to remind his disciples of the troubles that they're going to face as they navigate through this dark world, the troubles in the world, and the troubles really in themselves as well. And then number three on your outline, Jesus is going to remind them that he's not left them alone, but he's going to send the tour guide to help them navigate through this world. 
So grab your Bibles again. Let me read for you number one on your outline, looking at John chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he, the spirit of truth, will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. Again, we need to remember a little bit of what we saw last week. Jesus told his disciples he's leaving them. He's uh, leaving them in the midst of this hostile world, and they should expect that this fallen world, this dark world in which Jesus is leaving them, this world is going to hate them just like this world hated him. And in the midst of that somewhat depressing message, Jesus then reminds his disciples of something he's told them before. He says, when the helper comes. He's going to send to his disciples the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. And there's a few things I want you to take note of here in what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. First of all, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of truth. He's the source of truth, you could say, that everything the spirit does is going to be faithful and true. The second thing I want you to see here is that Jesus says at the end of verse 26, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, will testify. The word for testify means to bear witness, to talk about. And Jesus says the Holy Spirit will bear witness, and because he's the spirit of truth, you could say that the testimony that the Holy Spirit gives will be truthful. And the third thing I want you to see here about this testimony of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says he will testify about me. So in describing this helper whom Jesus will send, who proceeds from the Father, this Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So his testimony is true. He's going to testify about Jesus. So everything the Holy Spirit does ultimately points to the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus says, as I leave you in this fallen world, in this dark world, I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who will testify about me. And then I want you to notice verse 27. Not only is it the Holy Spirit who will testify about the truth of who Jesus is, Jesus says there in verse 27, and you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. This is key for you to understand, and we're going to come back to this at the end. Jesus says, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit who's going to testify about me. His testimony is going to be true, and you will testify also. What I want you to see is Jesus is not only preparing his disciples for his departure, he's also preparing his disciples for their testimony after his departure. Jesus is leaving them in a dark and hostile world, a world that's going to hate them, and Jesus says, I want you to testify about me. Right after he just said, we saw last week, they're going to hate you because of me. But here Jesus challenges his disciples. He's preparing them not only for his departure, he's preparing them for their witness in the world, in a hostile world. 
You can only imagine what the disciples were thinking when they heard this. The world's going to hate you because they hated me, but I want you to speak out. I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to testify about who I am, even in the midst of this hostile world. On another occasion, Jesus told his disciples something very similar. It's one of my favorite kind of head-scratching passages in the New Testament. It's in Matthew chapter 10. You don't have to turn there, but I encourage you to jot it down. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says one of the most frightening things. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Think about that for a second. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, I don't know a ton about shepherding, but I do know it's the main job of the shepherd to protect his sheep from the wolves. But Jesus says, I'm sending you out as the sheep in the midst of wolves. And I think the implication there is, he doesn't say it specifically, but implied in it is, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves because you are going to go and by the Holy Spirit turn wolves into sheep. I'm sending you out in a hostile world. The world is going to hate you, and you're to give testimony about me because it's the truth you say about me that's going to change wolves into sheep. But I love, Jesus doesn't shy back here from the harsh reality of what his disciples are going to face. He's very clear with them that they are going to face troubles as they try to follow him and bear witness to him in a fallen world. And it's now, number two on your outline, I want us to look specifically at the troubles that Jesus' disciples will face as they go out and witness about him in this fallen world. Notice John chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. So everything Jesus is saying now, all, all that he's been saying about his, to his disciples about the work of the Holy Spirit, about sending them out in the midst of a fallen world, the world that's going to hate them because it faded Jesus, all of this stuff that Jesus is saying, he's saying to them now, I'm telling you these things to keep you from stumbling. I don't want you to be surprised when you find out that the world is going to hate you. I don't want you to be surprised when you find out that the world is going to persecute you. None of this should catch you by surprise. None of this should cause you to stumble or literally to go astray. Jesus gives fair warning to his disciples of exactly what it is that they will face as they follow him in a fallen world. And notice in the next verses, Jesus describes there on your outline the troubles they will face in the world, and then he also mentions a trouble they will have in themselves. Let's look first at the troubles they'll face in the world. John chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. Jesus says this. He says, They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. So I love Jesus' honesty here. He tells his disciples, listen, you're going to have troubles. You're going to be persecuted. And he mentions specifically two things here. He says to his disciples, as you go out into the world in this dark and hostile world, this world that's going to hate you, you can expect two things. Number one, they're going to kick you out of the synagogue. 
They're going to kick you out of the synagogue. Now, you and I need to understand, for a first century Jew, to be kicked out of the synagogue was a major thing. When we think about, um, you know, church discipline, um, unfortunately, sometimes churches have to put people under church discipline, and 100% of the time, in my experience, when a church puts a person under church discipline, they just go to another church down the road, right? So when we think about stuff like this, we're like, no big deal, who cares? But for the Jew of the first century, to be kicked out of the synagogue, there was no other option. The synagogue was not only the place you went for worship, but it was really the center of your community life. It was the place you sent your kids for education. Your entire life revolved in many ways around the synagogue. So to be kicked out of the synagogue in some ways was actually a fate worse than death. And by the way, that's the second thing Jesus says here. They're going to kick you out of the synagogue, and there's going to be some who kill you, and in killing you, they think, ironically, that they're actually offering a service to God. So Jesus says, listen, here's the bad news. They're going to kick you out of the synagogue, and for those of you who are uh, uh, fortunate enough to be killed, because in some ways, again, kicked out of the synagogue is worse than death, they're going to kill you, and in killing you, They think they're offering service to God. By the way, we see this in the book of Acts. We see the followers of Jesus, the disciples, being kicked out of the synagogue. We see people being killed because of their faith in Jesus. And we see one of those who was dragging people to be killed was a man by the name of Paul, right? Saul, who became Paul. So we see this story played out exactly as Jesus says here. There's going to be these internal or external problems that his disciples face. They're also going to face some internal trouble as well. Notice verses 4 through 6. Jesus says, When these things I have spoken to you, uh, but these things I have spoken to you, so that when their hour comes, in other words, when this comes to pass, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you, but now. I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, notice this. Here's the internal trouble they're going to have to deal with. Sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus says, listen, I'm leaving. I'm telling you what's going to happen. And because of all of this, sorrow has filled your heart. There's something key I want you to understand here when we read about the disciples' sorrow. I think it would be natural for anybody, if you were living with Jesus, walking with Jesus for three years, when you hear of his departure, to be filled with sorrow. But I think it's the reason for the disciples' sorrow that Jesus is really pointing out here, their failure. I believe the reason Jesus is saying this is because they're really only thinking of what his departure means to them. They have a really short-sighted view, in other words, of what's taking place here. They're focused on the sorrow that's going to come to them, and they're really missing the bigger picture of why Jesus has to leave, of where Jesus is going to return to his place of glory with the Father. In other words, the disciples are really short-sighted. They're narrowed in their focus. They're thinking only about themselves in this minute, and so it's for that reason that Jesus is challenging them a little bit. Think of it this way. So just yesterday, 
um, I took a picture of a sweet little family in front of a Christmas tree. And, um, you know, you, in our days, you pull out your iPhone, you take a picture, uh, somebody takes a picture of you, and what's the first thing that you do once you get your phone back? What do you do? You check the picture, but you don't check the picture. What do you actually check? You check yourself in the picture, right? Um, that's all you care about is you look at how you look in the picture. Everybody else can look ugly, but as long as you look good, everything's fine. And on the other hand, if everybody else looks good, it's the best picture they've ever been taken in, but you look bad, that thing's never going to get posted, right? Because we focus only on ourselves. And that's exactly what the disciples are doing here. They're missing the bigger picture of what Jesus is saying. He's been telling them he's leaving and he's going to go back to his place in heaven and glory with the Father. He's leaving and he's ultimately going to die on the cross for their sins. But the only thing they're thinking about is how this is going to impact them in the short term. These disciples are thinking only about themselves. But something amazing happens. If you flip in the book of Acts, and you began reading about these disciples and the men that they become, it's very different. These men who begin and they set out so self-focused and thinking only about themselves and the negative things that are going to happen to them, suddenly in the book of Acts, they're now transformed and they're being spread out all throughout the globe as they're taking the gospel, the good news of Jesus, uh, to places all over the Roman Empire. What is it that changes between then and the book of Acts? Here in the gospel of John and the book of Acts, it's number three on your outline, the tour guide that's given to them. The Holy Spirit who will transform them. Take a look at John chapter 16, verse 7, beginning number 3 on your outline. Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus, once again, tells his disciples, listen, it's to your advantage that I go away. Believe it or not, I know you've been walking with me and talking with me for three years, but it's actually more beneficial to you. That's what that word advantageous means. It's more beneficial to you that I leave so that the Holy Spirit might come. Now, to tell you the truth, this is one of those passages, this is another one of those sayings of Jesus that I struggle with a little bit. Because I think that if Jesus were actually physically right here by my side, walking with me every single day, like, I would choose that option, right? And so, but what does Jesus mean when he says here, it's actually to your advantage that I go away and that the Holy Spirit come? You know, I remember when I first moved to Dallas, right out of college to attend Dallas Seminary. I told you before that God did not gift me with the skills of navigation, right? And so I was moving from Stillwater, Oklahoma to the big city of Dallas, Texas. And to be honest with you, I was a little bit terrified. I had no idea. This is before the days of iPhone when we all have, you know, GPS system built in our pocket. And so uh, I had to think through, okay, how am I going to transition from Stillwater, Oklahoma to Dallas, Texas? How am I going to navigate through the streets of Dallas without getting lost? And looking back, I suppose I had three options. 
I could have gone the old school route and I could have purchased a paper map, right? A good old Rand McNally atlas. And that would have been a reliable guide to get me through the streets of Dallas, to help me navigate through the streets of Dallas. Uh, The problem is, though, again, I'm not naturally gifted at navigating. And so a paper map is only good if you know where you are and where you're going, right? So that option I laid aside. It didn't work for me. The second option, in theory, that I could have chosen is I could have hired a private guide to take me around the streets of Dallas. This is before the days of Uber. Uh, But I suppose I could have hired someone to drive me around Dallas and I wouldn't have to worry about it. Now, I was a poor seminary student, so that option is not a real possibility. So the third option I had, and the thing I actually did, is I did go online and I purchased one of those old school Garmin navigation systems, right? Um, And in these days, this was amazing technology. Again, now we have it all built into our phones and things, but in those days, it was new and amazing technology. The amazing thing about it is that the Garmin knew always, at all times, where I was. I could punch in the address of where I needed to go, and it would guide me turn by turn every step of the way. And here's my point of this silly illustration. (laughs) Ever since we human beings fell into sin... God has been on mission to guide us in truth, to lead us to himself. Now, for the Jews of the Old Testament, God gave them the good old-fashioned Rand McNally Mosaic Law, right? There's nothing wrong with the Mosaic Law. It was a reliable guide to lead the Jewish people where they are to him. The problem was not the Mosaic Law. The problem was their inability to follow the directions, Because of sin, which is inherent in all of us, the Jewish people simply were not able to follow the Lord, to follow the law in a way that leads them to faith. So that was the problem. So what Jesus did, or what God did in sending Jesus, is he really gave the tour guide. Jesus took on flesh, and he is the very embodiment of the righteousness of God. And all of the righteousness of the Old Testament ultimately points to the in-person guide in Jesus, showing people what the very righteousness of God is. But what Jesus is saying here is, I'm going away, because in taking on flesh, the scope is a bit smaller. But now Jesus is leaving and he's sending the Holy Spirit who will be in all flesh, in all people who put their faith in Jesus, leading and guiding all of us, not just bound and confined to 12 disciples in Israel, but literally all over the globe, across all time, the Holy Spirit will be guiding people to the very same righteousness of Jesus, the very same righteousness God revealed in the Mosaic Law. It's for that reason Jesus can say here, it's to your advantage that I go away. Simply put, the scope is much bigger. So Jesus here says, it's to your advantage that I go away, and when I go away, the helper will come. And then starting in verse 8, he really gives us the meat of who the Holy Spirit is and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, both in the world and in the church. So let's take a look first at what Jesus says regarding the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the world. Notice John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. Jesus says, 
And he, that is the Holy Spirit, when he comes, notice this, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Here we see the work of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the world, the fallen world, this dark world in which we live. And Jesus uses one big word here to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the world, and it's that word convict. The work of the Holy Spirit, even today in this dark and broken world in which we live, the Holy Spirit is working to convict unbelievers. That word convict means to expose to the truth and to convince of the truth. And Jesus says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit in this dark world to convict or to convince the world of the truth regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. Regarding sin, notice verse 9, because they do not believe in me. The primary, not the only, but the primary work of the Holy Spirit for an unbeliever is to convince them of their sin because they don't believe in Jesus. Specifically, the sin of not believing in Jesus. As the Holy Spirit, I believe, works in a person's heart, the number one thing the Holy Spirit is working on in that heart of the unbeliever is what they believe or don't believe about who Jesus is. By the way, in terms of our evangelism strategy, uh, that's a great strategy for us as well, to keep pointing people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will deal with their sin, their lifestyle, later. While I'm on the subject, let me pause right here. And say, listen, for those of you in this room, for those watching online, uh, there may be someone here who the Holy Spirit's been working on your heart. Maybe this time, around this time of year, as uh, we're celebrating Christmas, you've been wondering, okay, really what is it about this guy, Jesus? And as you think about that question, I hope that you see over and over again what the scripture says about this man, Jesus, that uh, he came and he, he did take on flesh in the form of a human baby. And he grew up and he lived a perfect life. He lived out the very righteousness of the law to perfection so that he might die on the cross in your place and in my place. And the most important thing you'll ever consider, the only thing I really want you to hear me say today, if, if, if you don't yet know, if you don't yet, yet have a relationship with Jesus, is, is what are you going to do with him? I pray that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart even now to convince you of, to convict you of, the sin of not believing in him. And if you don't believe in him, I want to give you the opportunity right here, right where you are, to put your faith, your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Now in verse 10, we see another thing the Holy Spirit convicts the world of. The Holy Spirit also convicts the world concerning righteousness. This standard of what righteousness is. And notice again, Jesus links this idea of righteousness and the Holy Spirit's convicting of righteousness, he says, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Jesus, again, is the very embodiment of the perfect righteousness of God. But now that he's leaving, the Holy Spirit is going to come and convict the world of this same standard of righteousness. Again, the Bible makes it clear that there's not a single righteous person, not a single one, except for the person of Jesus. 
And so one of the things the Holy Spirit does is it keeps pointing people to the reality that there is a standard of righteousness that none of us truly do measure up, that none of us are as good as we like to think that we are. And the Holy Spirit works in the heart of an unbeliever ultimately to point them to the righteous standard of Jesus. And then the third thing we see, verse 11, that the Holy Spirit does to convict the world of is concerning judgment. Coming judgment. And Jesus says concerning judgment because the ruler of this world, Satan, has been judged. I think what Jesus means here is that if Satan has been judged, if Satan himself has been judged, the ruler of this world, then so will everybody else. No one will escape. That there will be this standard of divine righteousness and anyone who falls short ultimately will be judged. The question is, are we going to depend on our own quote-unquote self-righteousness or will we accept the gift of God's righteousness imputed to us, credited to us on behalf of Jesus himself? So that's the Holy Spirit's work in convicting the world, his ministry to the world. Now let's take a look at what Jesus says regarding the Holy Spirit's ministry to the church. Notice verses 12 through 15. Jesus says to his disciples, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Um, Here, Jesus is describing the future work of the Holy Spirit in the disciples and later in the church itself. See, the Holy Spirit has a work, a ministry in the world, but the Holy Spirit also has a work, a ministry among the people of God, the church. And there's a couple big words I want you to see here. First of all, verse 12, Jesus says to them, I have a lot more to say to you, but you can't bear it now. Uh, I love that. He's just being honest with them. There's a lot more stuff you guys need to learn, but uh, you guys don't have the capacity right now. It's only when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells them that their hearts and their minds are going to be open for more truth. But then there's a few words I want you to see here about the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the church. A couple big words Jesus uses here. Number one is guide. Number two is disclose. And number three is glorify. Guide, disclose, and glorify. Guide, and all of these words really go together, but the the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the church is to glorify Jesus as he guides the church and discloses to the church facts about who Jesus is. And in many ways, the New Testament is the fulfillment of this particular promise right here. That is, the Holy Spirit came in the church in Acts chapter 2 Uh, transformation takes place. And this new information, this things to come that Jesus mentions here is revealed to the disciples through the Holy Spirit and we're the recipients, we're the blessed recipients of having this in the word of God for us to study and to know. The Holy Spirit today still illuminates the word of God on the page helps us to gain insight into who Jesus is and to what difference the gospel makes in our life. 
So there's a lot here as we take a step back and really look at everything Jesus is saying in these few chapters. This particular passage really focuses in on the work of the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus get into a lot of detail of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the world and convicting the world of truth, uh, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We also see a lot of what Jesus is saying about the work of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church, in glorifying Jesus and guiding us into truth. This passage really is about the Holy Spirit. But there is something in here that we're called to do as well. The bulk of this passage is about the work of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does, but there is one really important thing in this passage about what Jesus is calling you and I to do. As the Holy Spirit is doing his thing, what is it that we're called to do? I want you to look again at John chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. When the Holy Spirit comes... Whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. So there's the work of the Holy Spirit. But then what are we to do? Verse 27. And you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. Once again, Jesus has been telling his disciples that he's leaving that he's leaving them in a dark and hostile and broken world that's going to hate them because it hated Jesus. And Jesus is now challenging his disciples. In light of what the Holy Spirit will do, he wants them to testify as well. He wants them to give vocal proclamation to the gospel of who Jesus is and what difference it makes, even in the midst of a dark, broken, hostile world that's going to hate them. The thing that Jesus is calling them to do and us to do is to be witnesses. Now, we might be tempted to stumble, as Jesus says. We might be tempted when we realize that Jesus is sending us out into a dark and hostile world. We might be tempted to be silent witnesses, which is an oxymoron. But Jesus is calling us to testify, to give proclamation about who he is. The encouraging thing we see in this passage is that When witnessing in a hostile world, there is no reason to worry because we have a divine guide working to bring people to Jesus. When witnessing in a hostile world, we have no reason to worry, even in the midst of trouble. Why? Because we have a divine guide working to bring people to Jesus. And there on the backside of your outline, that's really the question I want you to wrestle with this week. As, as you're witnessing in a hostile world, I want you to be encouraged by what you see here in this passage of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As you're witnessing in a hostile world, there's no reason to worry. The worst they can do, I know this sounds cliche, but the worst they can do is kill you. <laughs> when witnessing in a hostile world, there's no reason to worry because we have a divine guide working to bring people to Jesus. Therefore, ask God to give you an opportunity to share the gospel. You know, one of the amazing things we see here throughout this context in the upper room discourse is there's tons of bad news. But every time there's a piece of bad news, Jesus gives good news. 
Here in the Upper Room Discourse, Jesus tells his disciples, listen, the world is going to hate you, but I love you. The world is going to give you trouble, but I'm going to give you my peace. In this world, you will have sorrow, but I'm going to give you joy. And in this world, they might kill you, but I give you eternal life. See, every piece of bad news, Jesus replaces with good news. So while witnessing in a hostile world, there's no reason to worry. Because we have a divine guide who is working to bring people to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this challenging passage. God, thank you that for nearly 2,000 years, you, by your Spirit, have been working, even in the midst of persecution and suffering, even in the midst of people being kicked out and killed because of their faith, uh, that you have been working to bring more and more people to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is. And God, for us, even here in, in the U.S., as we think about what it is to follow Jesus in a fallen world, God, we, to a certain extent, anticipate things to get more and more difficult, to get more and more challenging. We may very well one day see the day when we are persecuted here because of our faith. And God, as we come to grips with that reality, as we're encouraged by brothers and sisters around the world who this is indeed their everyday life, God, I pray by your spirit you would encourage us. Help us to not be silent witnesses, but to speak out, to boldly proclaim the good news of the gospel of the death and resurrection of Jesus, no matter what the consequences might be. Father, help us as we are your witnesses, as we are your representatives in this fallen world. Help us to not worry. Because indeed, in your spirit, by your spirit, you have given us our guide. It will guide us into the truth, we pray and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.